Look, every movie we talked about better than Alien Nation. That's the tagline on the box. Crowding the garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Woff. Hey, guess what? It's still 1988. You know that? Uh, I wish. Uh, dude, seriously. Uh, you're already looking. We have uh, alienation today. And uh, it, even though it's 1988, just like last week's or earlier this week, it depends on when you listen to this, last week's off limits, alienation takes place in 1991, unlike off limits, which was taking place in, I'm going to guess, 68, maybe? I think it was 69? Yeah, it was 68. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, oh, damn, does this one have 80s dripping from every one of its pores. But not in a good way. But not in a good way. <laughs> it's not a pretty movie. One, he would say, as I told you earlier, looks like every other poor actioner from the late 80s. And not even the good ones. No. Not even the ones that have chic, you know, and cheeky value. These this thing does not have any of that. Dude, this movie is fucking... I mean, I can't even... There was. I knew there was a reason I really never revisited this movie. Yeah. Because you know, it sucks. Uh, it's just not very good. There's no. No, it's not fun. It's not shot well. It doesn't... It, it, I don't know, man. It doesn't look good. Um, I've... Okay, now, for the newcomers in the movie, the aliens in the movie. And you know, the the whole premise is this, we get invaded in 1988 and uh, we find out they're friendly people. It's not like V, (laughs) but they get, they assimilate very quickly and they're smarter. They're stronger. All of those things. They drink sour milk to get drunk. It's great. Yeah. For the males, their balls are underneath their armpits. Yes. Correct. (laughs) That's the takeaway from this I mean, movie. Look, uh, yeah, man. I, I'm trying to think what are the pluses of this movie. Um, it's weird. Well, we've always talked about the sleaziness of how Hollywood looked back in the 80s. And you get to see that. That's truly the backdrop of the movie. Just like it was to a lesser degree of the first Lethal Weapon. But the charm of Lethal Weapon is there's, it's a great script. The cast is kick ass. With this, it's like, it's just... It's all premise. And it like, is. Yeah, I mean. They, they, and the premise isn't good enough to prop it up to where it's nope. even mediocre. Because it feels like a whole bunch of other better movies. Like any, any buddy cop movie I could think of off the top of my head is better than this. Right. <laughs> also, the chem, there's no chemistry between James Conn and Mandy Patinkin. I don't, I, no. don't, uh, I don't buy any of it. James Conn is like 20 years too old even then right. for, this, for the role, I think. I mean, I don't know, man. He just seems... I don't know, man. There's just not a whole lot going on. I feel like he, it seems like he just rolled in, did two takes of everything and rolled out. I, I don't know, yeah. man. It, it's so boring. There's nothing impassioned. Even the beginning, you know, that sets the whole thing up um, with his partner, you know, and the, the way they drive by and they see this robbery. I mean, come on, dude. That it is, it is, it's so poorly staged. What are they doing? You know, it's, it, none of it is good. It's not, it's, there's, there's, it's all bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a bad, it's a, it's a, it's a bad opening to get us to the 
hey, I got my new partner. I mean, we've seen this a million times. Right. It was done much better in 48 hours. Yep. And the thing that's, that's kind of a drag about it is like I've the makeup on the the newcomers, and I started talking about this earlier, is really good. It's done by Winston. Yeah. And it's, you know, all the guys that run shit, where are those guys? Where, where's Alec Gillis and those guys at now? They're at. Is it Legacy? No, no. I think, I think Alec is, is at, um, shit. Like I'm blanking on the name of it now. The, but, but, but Alec Gillis, Shane Mahan, uh, John Rosengrant, Tom Woodruff, and my buddy, Shannon Shea, who I've talked about on the show quite a bit. Hopefully we'll get him on the show soon. He's like Shannon. I mean, all these guys. So I mean, they kind of like they're a part of that circle of guys that kind of move from shop to shop. And it was always moving to the big shops because these guys are fucking talented guys. You've seen Alec Gillis and he's kind of ventured into, into directing and things like that. He works a lot with uh, Neil Blomkamp. But unfortunately, the makeup job, which is gorgeous, doesn't look good in this movie. I've seen it in person. It looks amazing. Hell, the TV version of alienation, the makeup looks is much more defined and better looking because this movie, the movie version just looks like shit. The TV, ver the, I was going to say the TV show is, is, is 20 times better than this. Movie. Yes. It's weird. It's the one, it's right. one of those times when like the TV show is actually preferable to the movie that it came from. Right. And we talked about, you mentioned it's all premise, but they don't go yep. anywhere with it. With this, they take the premise and they go somewhere with it. And I, the, the TV show is like, if, if you can find it, I mean, you can rent it, right? I think it's just a rental. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, yeah. mm -hmm. but it's good. And let's get this out of the way real quick. If you, if you guys want to venture down the, this, um, it, it, this, this, if you've never seen it before, you need to revisit it. It's on stars right now. Please don't go buy it. No. <laughs> Cause don't. I don't want to be responsible for the one that, uh, I don't want to be responsible for your $5 that you spent on it. Hell don't, if it's at big lots, don't buy it. That's what I'm saying. I've, I've never, I, I halfway through the movie last night, I thought maybe it was just my mood and I'm like, no. I'm, I'm not digging this dude. I'm not, I, but then I, but then just like you noted, I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, I think I remember why I don't even own this. I think I would on any incarnation of laser, yeah. laser disc VHS, whatever. I don't know. This sucks. Is like, here's the thing. You've got an inexperienced director in there, relatively inexperienced, but he did one of my all time favorite episodes of amazing stories. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's everybody's favorite. Right. Anybody that's cool enough to put Adam Ant in your show, in, in your episode, that's cool with me, especially was that 86 or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, dude. And he's a big TV guy. That's the thing. Yeah. It looks like TV. You even said, what did you, what did you, what did you say to me? About I, I said uh, Hunter had more uh, production value and Stephanie Kramer. And let me go ahead and point this out too. Guess who's directed episodes of Hunter? <laughs> yeah, of course. I yes. I, there's no. There's a reason why it looks like the the opening shots. You know, with them cruising. You know, that whole storefront, the robbery. Say it all just smacks of '80s television cop show stuff. Right. Do you know? I never knew that uh, that Jeff Kober was was straighter. I never knew that was him under that makeup. Oh, you know what's crazy, dude? I was gonna say. Jeff Cober and Brad Thompson, both in the same movie playing aliens. And uh, those are two guys that always kind of like they would show up and I would try to remember which one was in the movie. And now they're both in this movie in alien makeup. It's funny when, when I was getting ready to watch alienation and in between that, you know, was us, I was editing off limits and there were certain things that I remembered alienation reminded me of Cobra. And I forgot Brian Thompson was in this. So when I got there, I'm like, holy shit, that figures he's in this. Maybe that's why I just had that feeling that 
it just felt like Cobra. If everybody remembers Cobra, Brian Thompson is the baddie in that. Yep. And Brian Thompson's also the though in Fright Night 2. The 88 Fright Night 2 people, not the yes. not the other one that we refuse to talk about. Yes. Well, we won't talk about it anymore. <laughs> you know what's weird, man, is that Graham Baker also directed uh, he directed the Amazing Stories episode, but he also directed the terrible um Beowulf film uh with Chris Lambert. Yeah, the, it was like like 90 99 and 91. or yeah. 2000 Some, yeah. something around then. But he also directed this kind of little scene movie that I actually really dig with Tim Matheson and Meg Tilly called Impulse. Bill right. Paxson, Hume Cronin. Uh, and I think that's probably the movie that got him Alien Nation, if I'm guessing. I don't know, man, but th- I don't know. This movie just flatlines, dude. It does. It's it's really disappointing. And like you know, what was James Caan doing then? He wasn't doing a lot. And that's probably why they got him so cheap. But what's weird is like Gail Ann Hurd is the acting producer of this movie. Yeah. And I, when I saw that, I didn't remember that. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. And then as the movie goes, I'm like, dude, you know what? I get her approach now. I know what she was doing. She's got Rock Neil Bannon, right? Writing this thing. You know, and, you know, he's done some stuff. He's currently writing for Evil. Um, he did the Twilight Zone reboots and stuff. He did, we talked about the the Twilight Zone, the, uh, my favorite one of the reboots, where he basically writes himself into it, and he has all the little demons coming around that he's seeing everywhere, and everybody says he's crazy, he's seeing these things, and all they do, he, he, he finally just approaches them and says, why do you keep bothering me? He's like, just write about us, Mr. O'Bannon. So the whole episode is just a circle jerk of... <laughs> right. But he's he's good. I mean, he's usually a good writer. Farscape is the same way. So you can see where he's coming from. But Gail Ann Hurd definitely took the approach of the first Terminator. Yep. And how they produced it. Sure the fuck looks like it. it dude, it looks a lot like the first Terminator. Like the, It almost looks like they borrowed stock shots of that first Terminator. Right. I mean, it looks... The movie... It's 1988, but it looks like it could be 1984 right. or 83. Here, let's let's. I'm going to try to be positive. So here, here, here are my here are my best. Here are the best things I can say about it. it has Terrence Stamp in it. Peter Jason shows up. Jeff Kobar, who we already saw, talked about. Uh, Brad Thompson. There's a scene that if it's not lifted, I don't know how they didn't get sued. It's so directly lifted from Blade Runner, but boring. Like if you, if you took that scene of Harrison Ford in Zora's dressing room, you know, after she comes off stage and you, and you sucked all the life out of it, you got alienation. <laughs> right. There you go. That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, the one great, the one cool thing that I totally forgot about is the fact that, you know, seawater is like hydrochloric acid to them. Yeah. Which they kind of clumsily set that up because you know how the movie's going to end once you see it happen right. the first time. Right. With the, and I love the aliens' names. It reminded me of Buckaroo Banzai, yeah. which also is better than this. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't like one of the things that bothered me about this is the cheekiness of it, where Manny Patinkin's character is all, all the newcomers are given names by our government. And his name is Sam, S-A-M as in Mary, Sam Francisco. And James Conn's character, Matthew Sykes, doesn't want to say it, so he just calls him George because he can't deal with the pun. The pun's terrible, but they want to have fun. They're trying to they're trying to make me laugh about the pun. It's dumb. It's, it's not stupid. funny. It doesn't land. And the fact you want to point it out to me even more, it should have, I mean, at the most, you should have done Sam, San Francisco it is, huh? 
And that should have been the end of it. They made, they made too much of a meal that he should have just said, I'm going to call you George or make a joke about it later on. Why do you keep calling me George? Because I'm not going to call you San Francisco. There was a way to, to do it differently where it would have been remotely funny. Or like you said, just call him Francisco. Yeah, why not? It's also kind of weirdly racist. What, now, <laughs> I want to point that out too. He's called Francisco the whole damn time until he introduces himself. And, you know, yes. cop movies and same thing, cops, shit at work, we all call each other by our last name. Yeah. Why does that have to change? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's weird. Like, I don't know. They're just, they, they just tried to be too clever. Like, and, and I love the way that every time that we introduce ourselves to a newcomer or we meet one, we get both names. Rudyard Kipling, George Janeski. Joshua Strader, you know, and it's like, you know, and then they call them, they use both names when they're talking to them. It's weird. Right. right. I mean, and and, and it's, it doesn't, it doesn't help anything. <laughs> no, no. And the action scenes, you know, it's an action movie. Does it, does it feel like completely no. hollow? There's nothing Dude, there. It's like TV. We, it's we it's like for, Murray right. wrote car chase. Right. I'm waiting for all those 1970s cars to start doing flips like on seat on chips. Right. <laughs> right. Dude. That's what I'm, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> the, the, the big car chase with uh Patinkin and Khan and look, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't think this movie can be ruined, no. but, but once hardcore, William hardcore, who Terrence stamp is, he's the baddie in this. That's the only clever name that I've come across. Any of these newcomers was William hardcore because he's a, William Harcourt is a, is a famous British lawyer and journalist. So I, I kind of get that, but it's like, I can't believe Terrence Stamp is under all that makeup, dude. I'm like, what the, f he, I think he signed up for something totally different. Honestly, I'm so glad he was able to rebound. Like we talked recently about with the, with that limey yeah. that he picked up, but dude, it's like that moment where Harcourt ODs on this drug from their planet that they're mass producing now on planet earth. He ODs on that. And then when they're in the, so, so when Francisco and Sykes are in a cop car with another cop, quote unquote, chasing after the, the coroner van, does it feel like, I mean, they're not even bothering moving the car around on the soundstage to make it look like they're actually moving. Nope. It's, I don't know, man. 88 cocaine, right? I guess like maybe this, maybe this movie was just like, a, you know, we get, we had to burn some tax dollars. We need a tax shelter. <laughs> or they didn't have enough cocaine. I don't know. Yeah. Not enough is what I'm going to say. Otherwise, you know, there would have been some action in this movie. It, it's an action movie with no action. And it's also, it's a buddy cop movie where you don't care about any of the buddies. Like, I mean, I, I didn't like, I didn't care about either one of them. Right. The thing they do better in the TV show, obviously, is we, you know, you get into the story and you meet his family. And I mean, they make mention of his family here. And not that I needed all that nonsense. I, I needed something, man, because this movie does nothing like zero. Like by the time they sh by the time we get to the end where Sykes is giving his daughter away, I forgot he even had a daughter. And, and when I mean forgot, I mean, I didn't care. And I'm with you, dude. It's like it, it's really... The setups and payoffs, literally, there's only thing that they even foreshadow for a payoff later on, and that is the, the seawater thing. Yep. The ETPD joke. And I mean, it, I don't know, dude, it all just falls flat. There could, they really could have done so much more because at that time, obviously in Los Angeles, there were a lot of people that were complaining about undocumented workers and yeah. being in Los Angeles. That's the whole point of the dumb name. They just kind of disguised it with this thing, these guys from the other planet. And I think that's why the constant use of them calling them slags, the slang, and just kind of like the whole time I'm watching, like this, who changes in this movie? 
Like who, who's the one person that that's, that's a racist the entire time. And it finally changes one person. Right. Oh, one person. That's it. (laughs) But does he change? But does he change? No, he doesn't. The whole time you're like, I don't know. I just, it's not about being woke or anything like that. It's just about being a decent person and being a human being. And another thing too, I get what they're trying to say. I get what they're trying to do is talk about undocumented. I hate to use the word illegal aliens, but that's what they were calling them back then. Yep. And so basically you're saying there's one point where I get the parallel, that parallel is pretty knocked over your head, but the way they treat those people, in this case, the aliens, it's like you, even you, the filmmakers, you're trying to, you're trying to send a message. All you're doing, all the message you're sending me is that you agree <laughs> with that shitty way of looking at other people. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, no, it's I do. Yeah. Fucking terrible. It's like, I you're trying to send a message. But the message is, oh, yeah, we have a problem. <laughs> the problem isn't the white people. The problem is these people that aren't white. Granted, we're here, what, 35 years later? Yeah, it's such a weird, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean it's, it's weird. It feels like they went half, halfway in on everything involved in this movie. You know, halfway in on, in, they just didn't go all the way in on their premise. They didn't go all the way in. Everything just feels like... Oh, that's, that'll be good enough. Oh, no. Hey guys, we're, you know, we're lucky. We got, we got James Caan. doesn't matter. You know, he's a name, right? Or he was, you know, I mean, Khan would have been great in this movie if it would have come out in like, you know, who would have been, what, you know, who would have been great in this movie? Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. That would have worked. I mean, I'm, and, I, and I'd like Khan, but I just didn't, I think he's wrong for this movie. I mean. And, and somebody else felt the same way too, because when it came around to making Men in Black, he fit perfectly right in that role. And what, I mean, the parallels between those two movies are, or yeah. permit the premises are. Similar. That's what it looks like when, it, when it's done right, by the way, Men in Black. Yeah, totally. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, look, man, if you want to just bounce and you can listen to this episode. And if you really want to see anything about alienation, just jump over to Tubi because the original series is all on Tubi Yay. for free. And I, what I was shocked at, there's only 22 episodes. One season, yeah. And then the rest of the those things were all TV movies. Like, I think there's like six TV movies that they made between like 95 and 2000. Right, and that was the agreement once they kind of canceled the show because they had footage. They had stuff they had shot for a second season. And right. so they just kind of gave them some extra money and, and rolled them out as as features. TV features, but still long, long form. And all of them better than this. Yes. Yeah, weird. Like I, you know, it's funny, man, because I didn't think that uh, you know I thought we had I thought we had picked uh, three movies that we <laughs> were going to be fun and like, and and man, I gotta say it was not that it was torturous. This movie's short. I'll give it that. Yes, it doesn't overstay its welcome, or does it? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know, man. It, it's I can't recall an episode where we both were kind of like even like right like like with with Silver Bullet our our first recording not the commentary we did but the first one we did we rolled for 3 hours and I you know I listened to it a couple of months ago and about 30 minutes of it we stopped talking about the movie we were talking about something else but still two and a half hours we figured out a way of talking about a movie that we don't love well we don't we don't love it for the way the filmmakers wish we loved it for right this is the first time I can't recall where I'm like I don't I don't know who this movie was for you know, I don't either, man. And you know, it's weirdly, I just thought about this because of Peter Jason being in both movies, but They Live also came out in 1988. Right. And it shows basically the same kind of Los Angeles. This movie would have been so much better if John Carpenter had directed it. Oh, yeah. 
how about that? Like, you know, there's some alternate universe where John Carpenter has directed Alien Nation and it's cool <laughs> because it's, this one isn't cool. <laughs> in a lot of ways, kind of They Live is yeah. his, his take on it because he wouldn't have made this movie. No. Nope. We talked about Leviathan well, during the, briefly, during yeah. the Off Limits episode. And we both touched on the whole, the abyss. Alienation, Deep Star Six, Deep Sea Six. <laughs> yeah, Deep Star Six, Alienation, <laughs> uh, but, Leviathan. But, but this one here fits the time frame where somebody was making Alienation or somebody was making They Live and they found out about it and they go, oh, wait, they're dealing with aliens and stuff. That It became that kind of thing. There, It almost felt like a studio heard murmurs about another project, so let's make one like that. Yeah. If you no, think no, about totally. it, Alienation and They Live are very similar if you kind of strip it down. I don't know. Yeah, I still agree. If like, if you gave this script to John Carpenter, he would have changed it properly and the premise would have worked. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, you know, this movie is, it kind of just got thrown in the mix. It feels rushed. Like they they threw it together with the idea of maybe the TV show being the payout for it. I think, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not sure what or, where it necessarily went wrong. It just, it just misses like on all cylinders for me. I'm like, and I, and I, as I remembered it, I didn't really love it when I saw it in 1988. I thought it was, it was passing. I saw it at a drive-in, I think. Right. With something else. Which, right. You know, I mean, it made me want to watch my stepmother as an alien. Yeah. It made you, this movie makes you want to watch other things because of, well, like I made a joke about it looking like Angel, not the TV show, but the, right. The hooker movie. Hell, even the sequel. <laughs> right. And we talked about during off, during, during off Limits where Gregory Hines and Willem Dafoe coming off their two biggest movies to date and just a couple of years before doing Off Limits. Khan, who wasn't a huge demand at this point, dude, he just, he came off of Gardens of Stone just the year before. Right. And he hadn't he had taken a break for a while. He had, hadn't done anything in a few years. I mean, if you remember in the mid 80s, he got in a car crash. Yeah. And it kind of took him out of commission for a little bit. Well, I mean, you can sort of see, this is obviously post-car crash, and you can sort of see it. He doesn't move around very well. Right, right. I, I don't know. And right. I, I, don't, I don't love the dude, but I mean, this movie is just, it's yeah. not his fault. This is the movie. Nothing, they did nothing right. Right. after Because after he did uh, he did Thief with Michael Mann in, in 81, his sister died of cancer. She had leukemia. And so he was he took himself out of commission. He was kind of depressed for a while, for like five, six years. So when he came back to do Gardens of Stone was the first thing he did and came back and Coppola just said, hey, friend, because I mean, these guys have been friends for at that point, 15 years. Come back, man. Let's get you, let's get you back in this, into life again. And then he did this the next year. So I, I don't know, man. I, I kind of feel like he's trying to get back into the game. And like you said, he not just physically, but skill set wise, he kind of lost a step. And yeah, I mean, dude, I, cause I'm a giant fan of, uh, I'm sure you probably like this movie. I would, I, I would be shocked if you said you don't like it, but I really was a fan of kiss me goodbye with yeah. him and Jeff Bridges in Southfield. And then there was nothing for six years. Such a wonderful movie. And I, I always take like that one. And, uh, what's the Robert Downey Jr. one? Hearts and Souls. Hearts and Souls. Oh, Those, no, no. Chances are, chances, chances are the one with, with, uh, Ryan O'Neill, Mary Stuart Masterson and Sybil Shepard. No, the, the one where... Where the whole bus, the, uh, everybody, like all the ghosts are on the bus. Hearts and Souls. Hearts and Souls. What a great combo those two movies are. 
But dude, yeah, the whole god, dude, I, I, dude, that's such a wonderful movie. Watching Khan dance and stuff. Oh fuck, I love that movie, yeah. dude. Yeah, if you, there's no way you can watch that and not love that movie. This movie makes you just want to watch other stuff that all these people are in. Yeah, you know, it, it makes you want to do. It just I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a drag. He kind of made a nice little bounce back, and among other things, I mean, as terrible as Bulletproof is, he's a great villain in it. Oh, Khan. Yeah. Yeah, dude, he's also he's also the best part of a racer. Yes, we talked. I think we've, I think <laughs> I even referenced Bulletproof when we covered Erasers, like because he's he finally found a niche where like going, all right, well, just be sunny, but now really be really really be on the wrong side of the law, <laughs> and that's what. Yeah, I mean, right after this, he probably did his. I don't know, man. I don't want to say his best role, but maybe. I mean, dude. He, I mean, because Misery, there's nothing right. about Misery that's not great, and he, no. he's great in Misery. Yeah. And you know, if you if you slam that on, you know, that that's his best performance post Godfather thief and all that stuff. You know, you could divide his career into two pieces. There's everything from kiss me goodbye backwards. And then there's everything from misery forwards. And then there's gardens of stone. I, I actually kind of like gardens of stone right. as I remember it. I haven't seen it in a long time, right? but it's one of those movies that I never think about. I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, you know, just now um, I hadn't thought about it forever, but I mean, there's the two career, but th this alienation, I mean, it, you know, Khan's doing what he can, but it just all kind of feels, I mean, it, you know, even this way it's shot, this shot selection, it's just not even shot, it's shot like TV. Right. Like they, they were like, they shot it like that because they probably, had, you know, they probably shot it on 25 days or, you know, short shoot. And they had a lot of stuff to cover and get through and, you know, a lot of nighttime setups, which I'm sure Khan was probably not super happy about because nobody's ever happy about shooting overnights, especially how old was Khan then? He was close to 50. He was, he was close to 50. He was born in 1940. So he was 48, 49. Right. And, you know, this movie's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it's, it makes you want to watch other things. And this, thankfully, this, too. Yeah. Thankfully, like, like, like we know, and thankfully it didn't derail him. Like you noted, he's like, no. he, you know, he does misery, probably the most probably his biggest and most recognized, you know, performance since, since the Godfather. And then he did fun little movie. Like he did back dark backward. Yep. Which he had a small part in that. He was great, but honeymoon in Vegas, really chewing on some scenery. Fucking love that. Yeah. I mean, like you get Cage and him together. Fucking great. Dude. There, like I said, there's the post, the program, the flesh and bone, the same year. Flesh and bone is, is a rough, rough movie, but he oh, yeah, again, dude. a fucking killer bad guy. He's so good in it. What's the movie with, what's the uh, Wes Anderson movie? The first Wes oh, Anderson Bottle movie. Rocket? Yeah. He's yeah. great in Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Oh. He had it. His, his, his 90s were solid. You, you would, yeah. thankfully, like he didn't, this, this movie did not derail him because, you know, his, and his buddy Warren put him in Dick Tracy, you know? Yeah. Not a big part. Like not, Cause that's the whole thing. Warren, that's how Warren Beatty kept the cost down on Dick Tracy. <laughs> he called in favors for everybody. <laughs> yeah. For the boys. I never saw it, but I heard it was good. Yeah, that one, that was that one was a setup for a nice little. That could have been big for them, and it didn't do well. Um, and it was weird too because Bette Midler was so massive at that time, coming off of Beaches, right? And he—that's the thing. Con here is very much like he is in the other one that you just talked about with Jeff Bridges and Sally. Field. I always forget the name of it. Kiss me goodbye. Kiss me goodbye. Thank you. Um, and if you haven't seen Kiss Me Goodbye, he plays uh, Sally Field's ex-husband. Yes, yeah, Sally Field's ex-husband who dies, and then he comes and haunts Jeff Bridges, who, who's now with Sally Field. It's wonderful because he's like, just this little song and dance thing and he's super charming. But if you never thought James Conn could be so charming in anything because he's always such a baddie, 
watch that movie. Yeah, man. He's wonderful in it. It's good. There's nothing about that movie that's not good. No. Yeah. So, but this is what I'm saying. This movie makes you want to watch other stuff that everybody in this is in that, that, that they're just better in. And they're just better movies and better TV shows out there. From It's just, it's, I think one of the reasons why we're so disappointed is because there are some really good people involved in it that really have done some tremendous work and, uh, you know, uh, lasting work like Misery. Yep. Hell, Mandy Patinkin, you can go like just the year before it was fucking Princess Bride, dude. It's like, I, I know I started to make this note earlier about going from, you know, off limits where two, the two leads just came out, the two biggest movies. It, same thing could be said about Manny Patinkin. I'm like, did, did anybody really know? I mean, the masses didn't know who he was before Princess Bride. Right. So this was, I'm, I, I have to say, this must have been a big payday for him. Yeah, something, right? I yeah. mean, the reason I knew who he was was because of the Princess Bride. Right. I mean, I didn't know who he was before that. I had friends who were in theater like, oh, he's the, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know him from anything other than Princess Bride. Although he was in this great show on Showtime for, dead, was it Dead Like Me? Yeah. Yeah, I love that show. He was great in it. The funny thing about Kiss Me Goodbye, I'm just going to, directed by Robert Mulligan, <laughs> <laughs> who directed, uh, amongst other things, The Nickel Ride, uh, but also probably best known for um, To Kill a Mockingbird, like yeah. we've always said. That Mandy Patinkin coming off of Princess Bride, it's just so weird. It's like, this is one of those things where the movie's not as good as the sum of its parts, right? Like, right. like it's got all the parts and pieces. It's just when they assembled it, it's like, you know, it's like you're making, you know, you're making soup and you throw everything in and it tastes bad. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck did I not do? Well, I don't know. It's like rotten. It's like bad soup. Cause you know, Mandy was, you know, he's a, he's been a Broadway guy, a musical guy for a long time, even before this movie. And the best thing about this movie would it did for his career is he went back to theater. He went back to Broadway to perform right. like secret garden. And I think he won um, a Tony in that too. But he went back and did some other stuff and he didn't come back to filmed productions until he came back in 94 to do Chicago Hope for CBS. And he's fucking was so, I love that show a lot. I know everybody talks ER and, and if, honestly, if it wasn't for ER, Chicago Hope wouldn't exist, but right. he's so damn good in it and he won an Emmy for it. Yeah. And I, I think he, has he won an Emmy for, um, what's the other show he's been on forever? Uh, oh, Criminal he, Minds. Criminal Minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CBS has all these movies. If it's, if it's not CSI something, it's hard to remember what they're called. <laughs> Correct. And, you know, it could be Criminal Minds CSI for all I know. I mean, Jesus <laughs> it's Christ, not. Dude. Is it? it, it I'm just going to say it is. And then he left. All right. I think he left and was replaced by Joe Montana. And the show just went off the air in 2020. Now they're rebooting it. And they're shooting it in Hawaii, I think. I love when he does these little cameos, Mandy. He he did. He plays the baddie in The Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. If anybody's a parent out there that has kids that were around that age when this movie came out, you appreciate his character Luxley in it, Huxley in it because he's so fucking funny in it. There was something else Patinka was in, which he was really good. And it was, it was this little scene movie called True Colors yeah. with uh, Cusack and Spader yep. and uh, Patinkin. That's the one with the, they're running for politics, right? There's Correct. The, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Dina Merrill's in it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's fun for what it is. Well, well you, you talked about Dick Tracy and the fun part. The fun part was trying to figure out, you know, who everybody was under the makeup. That's the problem with Alienation is like, dude, seriously, I had to look up who 
Harcourt was. I didn't know it was Terrence Stamp. I had, I mean, come on, why the voice just? I mean, you know me. I've been having really late nights lately, so right. Maybe that's maybe that's what the what happened there. But I looked at him like, oh my god! But that's the problem is you can't tell who's who. And I told you before, I didn't know that was that was Jeff Cobert. I didn't right. know. Yeah, Brian Thompson was the only one that I recognized right away because he has such defined cheekbones and Alec and the rest of the guys at Winston made yep. sure you could tell who it was underneath. That's a good makeup is when they do stuff like that. Because like Bill Forsythe, you know which one's Bill Forsythe without even fucking blinking an eye. It's everybody else outside of Pacino. You have a, you're trying to struggle to figure out who's who. Right. Here, here's something else we could, I, I'm going to throw this at you just because I don't really, we're kind of done talking about alienation, but while we're talking Apparently. about alienation <laughs> and we're talking about Mandy Patinkin and Khan. So here's a funny thing. So Khan makes Kiss Me Goodbye, right? He's a ghost. It's kind of like a, a riff on Topper, right? right. Cary Grant thing. Check it out. I totally forgot. There's a movie called Maxie that came out about three years later with Glenn Close right. playing the ghost and Mandy Patinkin is basically playing the Sally Field role. Until you said the name of the movie, I forgot. That was this is what we we're kind of referring to with alienation. Yeah, yeah dude. it's like right. it's like people. There's 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 this time where in studios, especially in the '80s, they were trying to. I don't know, man. They were everybody was trying to beat somebody in the market with a like movie, but people because the other studios didn't know what the movie actually was, they were trying to do their own version of it. And uh, that's why you're getting those gaps in time. Like here between Maxi and and the other one, when did it, how many years apart was it? So three years, three years. So, so, yeah, to so yeah, so a little bit of delay, production delay, availability of the leads, whatever. Boom, there, the movie finally comes around. Or they put it in the can and just waited because it came out too close together. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I would say I enjoy all three of those movies more than I enjoy the Alienation. <laughs> we always get to this point where like we're we're promoting a movie that we're talking about. I'm like, hey, here's where you can find it. You can find out if you agree with us or don't agree with us. We're telling you, don't watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, man, it's on stars, but don't put yourself through it. This has been a glorified kickstart with Alienation, the movie review, being the catalyst for why it's a kickstart now. Yeah, right? So there you go. And I want to throw this up there since we're kind of talking about ghosts and and uh, those fun, sweet movies that have, that have loved ones coming back to visit you. Thin Man. Yeah. Any of the Thin Man movies. Just but pick up the box set, man. Yep, yep. Chances are, is that other Robert Downey Jr. movie? Chances uh, are. Yeah, yeah. Ryan O'Neill, Sybil Shepherd, Robert Downey Jr., Mary Stuart Messon, same thing. It's literally "Kiss Me Goodbye." Right. Sybil Shepherd, her dead husband goes into Robert Downey Jr. Is okay for some reason, or he's I, reincarnated. I don't remember exactly, but it's the same kind of setup, you know. It's because of Mary Stuart Masters and fall tries to fall kind of like she gets she crushes yes. on Robert Downey Jr. And that that's actually the husband that dies. Right. And, and she's pregnant. And when she when he dies, she Sybil Shepherd's pregnant with Mary Stuart Masterson, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Correct. It's been a long yeah. time. <laughs> well, it's funny because the, I dude, I, I do like the movie, but I would say probably more than the movie, people probably remember the song from Peter Cetera and Cher. Oh my God. After all. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Peter Cetera, man, he kind of owned ass when it comes to love, yeah. love themes around that time. <laughs> yeah, man, from the late 80s, dude. It was all about Pete Cetera. Glory of love. The glory of love. Yeah, man. Mm. Well, there, there you go, See, man. We <laughs> something you, to talk about Peter Cetera at the end. Right. We have given you three kickstarts worth of recommendations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
honestly, any of the filmmakers, I I apologize for if we kind of like ranted on your movie, but you know, it's just I don't feel like we did. I I all we did was just point out its faults, really. But I don't want to. I'll just say this: the best thing about it, it's only ninety-one minutes. Look, dude, like we we've said before, <laughs> nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Exactly. I mean, but this one, you know, it just like I said, all the pieces are there. It just you know, they, they just didn't fit together right. the way that they should have. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Well. <laughs> well. Uh, we're still there on the on the Twitter at Karate Pod. Same thing with Letterbox. You follow Corey on Instagram at Karate Pod as well. Follow Corey on the Letterbox at Corey underscore Cole. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Rock and Roll Thirty Three on your Instagram, or you could follow me at Tom Cody on Letterbox. That's Tom Cody Letterboxed.